Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, y'all. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, it's good to see you. Last week, uh, we began a new series, and I want to quickly uh, bring everyone up to speed by highlighting some of the main points uh, briefly that we talked about last week. And once we've done that, we'll shift gears and we'll talk about uh, the topic that I really want to talk about today. So I just encourage you to, to open your heart. So Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you that, the, that you as the Holy Spirit uh, lead and guide us in all truth. And we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you're taking notes, uh, the title of this series is A Heart That Gives. A Heart That Gives. If I was going to put maybe a subtitle in this, it would be simply this, Cultivating a Spirit of Generosity. Cultivating a Spirit of Generosity. Now, before we read uh, our foundational passage, which comes from 1 Timothy, uh, I want to give you some background to what we're about to read. Church history simply tells us this. It says that Timothy was a young man. He was pastoring a church in a city known as Ephesus. And as he was leading his congregation, he began to run into certain problems that he didn't really know how to handle. And one of the main problems or the one of the main issues he was facing was that the wealthy people in the congregation, they lacked a proper understanding of money. Now, that lack of understanding was not only causing them to become arrogant towards other people in the church, but it was also causing them to start trusting in their wealth more than they trusted God. Now, in an attempt to kind of help Timothy sort those things out to solve those problems, his spiritual father, known as the Apostle Paul, he wrote him a letter to give him some wisdom on how he should address those issues. And what I want to do is I want to pick up a piece of scripture out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. Once again, kind of a foundational scripture for this series. Let's look at it together. It says, command or teach those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life, or as another translation says, they may experience the true life. So as we can see, the solution that Paul offered Timothy was to remind the wealthy people under his care about the kingdom principle of generosity. Can somebody say generosity? Now, I believe the reason he did this is because he knew that if there was going to be any chance that this group of people were going to have a heart change, then they needed to receive a personal revelation of true biblical stewardship from the Lord. Right, And I want you to know today that if you and I are going to be the generous people that God has called us to be, then it's uh, you know, essential that you and I receive the same revelation, which is, once again, true biblical stewardship. And it's because of this reason, what we talked about last week was four essential things that we need to settle in our hearts if we're going to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. So if you're taking notes, jot these down. I'm going to roll through them quickly. The first one is this. The first thing we need to sell in our heart is that God is the owner of all things. 
that God is the owner of all things. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then it says, the world and all its people, that's you, that's me, all its people belong to him. So this means that as the creator of the universe, not only does the universe that surround us, but going all the way down to our lives and every single thing that you and I own, man, it belongs to him. Amen? So the second thing that you and I need to sell in our heart is if all this belongs to God, then that must mean that we don't own anything. Right? Pretty simple. See, this is why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he said, what do you have that God hasn't given you? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And so from this, we understand that our life, our time, our talents, our possessions, and yes, even our finances, man, they are all gifts from God that he has entrusted to us. The third thing we need to sell in our hearts is this. If these things don't belong to us, then we got to ask ourselves, what's our role? Then God's given us all these things. What's our role with them? Third one is this, is that we have been called to stewardship. Now, this means, because I know that's not a word we use a lot, uh, this word actually means that we are called to manage, not own, the resources that he has entrusted to us. So, basically, through our relationship with him, as we seek him, love him, read the book, pray, all those things, man, we're asking and we're listening and we're obeying what he tells us to do with those five things, our life, our time, our talents, our possessions, and our finances. And, and I think if there's a, a, a thing that I would really like to drill down in our hearts is that hopefully we understand that the resources he's entrusted us with, he's given those things to us for his glory, not for ours. The fourth thing we need to settle in our hearts, pretty simple, is that we will be held accountable for how well we stewarded these resources. That there's going to come a day that you and I are going to stand before him and we got to answer for what we did with these things. The Bible's really clear on that. Amen? All right. So that's kind of last week, let's shift gears. So it's clear that we are going to be held accountable in these five areas, right, that we just mentioned. But what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is I want to turn our focus for the rest of this series toward an area, truthfully, that in 27 years of preaching, I have never preached on. And that is this, it's our finances. So because if it's true that everything is God's, so is money. And to be more specific, so is our money. Now, as I say that, I realize most people are leery when it comes to talking about their finances in the church, right? In fact, most people, even good Christian people, man, they usually don't put the, the words, you know, money and spirituality in the same category. They tend to do this, what most people do. They tend to view money as something separate, like it's over here, it's got its own box. You know, they go, man, that's what I've worked really hard for, and uh, because I've worked really hard for it, because I earned it, it's mine, and so don't tell me what to do with it. And then there's this other category or box over here where we put our spiritual things, like we talk about prayer, we talk about faith, and all those other nice little things Jesus taught us, Right? See, the only issue with this kind of thinking is this, is that there are more than, than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer. I think we'd expect that, right? And there's nearly 500 verses in the Bible concerning faith. I think we expect that too. But did you know that there's more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that speak directly to the subject of money and possessions? See, in addition to that, Jesus directly talked about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about money in 16 of his 38 parables. 
Now, for you math people out there, that's 42% of his parables covered money. So clearly, from God's perspective, there there aren't two different categories here uh, when it comes to this topic. There's just one. And so I think that you and I, once again, as God's chosen people, man, we need to settle in our hearts that our money and our spirituality are deeply connected. And if I can make a bold statement and say this, I think our spiritual health in many ways is connected to our finances. See, truth be told, according to what we find in the Bible, these, these two things are so deeply connected, they're inseparable. So let's prime the heart pump real quick. Let's ask a few questions before we shift gears. Question, first one, what would happen if you began to look at your money through God's eyes? Like, what would happen if we actually began to live like every penny that's in our pocket belonged to him? Because it does. What would happen if we began to view him as the owner of all things and we were really just the stewards? Like, what would happen if we begin to allow God's word to become the main influence on how we actually manage our money? Can you imagine how different our lives would be? Yes, great questions. Amen? All right, let's shift gears. What I want to do for the kind of the next chunk of time is I want us to, to dive into what I believe is the greatest obstacle that you and I will ever face when it comes to this whole idea of stewardship. In other words, to me, if there's something that's going to keep us from doing it, it's this. And so to kind of set it up, I want us to actually look at an encounter that Jesus had with a young man in Mark chapter 10, and uh, because I think basically his story says a lot about us. Let's read it together. It says this in verse 17. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's all excited. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. In other words, there was a heart of compassion there. And Jesus asked this. He said, there is still one thing that you haven't done, or as no translation says, there's one thing you still lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, after you've done that, follow me. This says in verse 22, a key verse that I don't want to miss here. It says, at this the man's face fell, his countenance changed, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. All right. I know we don't like to read that. But on the surface level, it, it's pretty easy to see that this young man, that he was living like a lot of us today. And what I mean by that, once again, as we just mentioned, he had his category that contained his uh, money and his possessions, and then another category that, that basically contained his spiritual life, which consisted of following the Ten Commandments or at least his interpretation of them. So in the brief moment that Jesus interacted with this young man, he, he quickly discerned that there was a core problem. And I want to make something really clear. Contrary to what I've heard a lot of people say, his problem wasn't his money. His problem was his mindset towards his money. And because he had the wrong mindset, his possessions possessed him rather than him possessing his possessions. 
They owned him, right? So when Jesus discerned this, as he does with all of us at some point or another, he lovingly confronted the one thing. Y'all do know Jesus has a habit of doing that, right? He confronts the one thing that held this man back from complete surrender and actually following him. And how did he do that? He simply challenged him to go sell all those possessions and to give money to the poor. Now, as we just saw, that that didn't settle too well for that guy. He couldn't see how the two categories become one, and he definitely couldn't allow himself to trust God more than his riches, and so he walked away. Now, with that said, here's what I think is funny. It's like, is that not the same thing, the same mindset that Timothy was having to confront with the believers in his church in Ephesus? The answer is yes. The same people, the same trap that the rich young ruler fell into was the same trap that the wealthy people in this church were falling into. And, and what I want to do is I want to, I want to look at it again and uh, go back to it, and you'll be able to see it. Here we go. Verse 17 again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, watch this, nor to put their hope in wealth. Is that not what he was doing? Is that not what he was doing? Yes. Can I pause and help y'all real quick? Let me help you breathe. I'm not going to take an offering today. <laughs> um, I'm not going to ask you for a dime. That, that's, that's not the intent of this. The, the intent is simply this, is so that you and I can have a biblical understanding of how God wants us to approach this. That's it. No strings attached here. Just wants to be people who love God and obey his word. So y'all can breathe. Okay? All right, here we go. Whew. All right. It says, nor to put their hope in wealth, it says, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Is that not what Jesus was trying to invite the guy to? Yes. And then it says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. That's what Jesus was challenging him to do. And this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life. Is that not what the guy was after? He was after real life. And then it says, that is truly life. So in my opinion, this is why I want to kind of bring it down to us. In my opinion, I think it's real easy to look at the rich young ruler and look at those people in Ephesus, kind of shake our head at them, and, uh, you know, like, why couldn't they get with the program? But, but I want you to understand today, just shaking your head, like, why couldn't these guys get it? Man, it doesn't keep us from falling into the same trap, right? All that does is keep us, when we think less of them, is blind us, and it causes us basically to be susceptible to end up in the same place. And so I think if you and I are going to be good stewards the way God wants us to, then maybe we need to, to identify what the trap is that they fell into, and then we need to avoid it at all costs. Amen? All right, so thankfully Jesus showed us the trap. Let's go all the way to Matthew chapter 6. Great verses. Great chapter. We're going to hit some pieces of it. But it says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, for where your money is, there your heart will be also. And then he said this three verses later in verse 24. This is the trap. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be loyal, devoted to the one, and despise the other. And then here it is, right here, key words. You cannot serve God and mammon. Somebody say mammon. Man, what I want to see today is that's exactly who that young, rich, young ruler, that's who he was serving. And that's exactly who the people in the Ephesus church, that's who they were serving. It was mammon. 
So I, I know that's not really a word that we use a whole lot today, so let's, let's take a second break this down. If you're not with me so far, lean in and please grab a hold of this. The, the word mammon is, you know, a surface level, it simply translates into the word riches. And that's why a lot of people just automatically go thinking Jesus said, okay, that or money. But, but actually, when you take a, a deep dive into this and really study it out, you discover that the ancient writers commonly interpreted mammon to be an evil spirit or a demon. And the reason they did this is because the Babylonians worshipped a god that was known as the god of mammon. And, and they viewed that god, the god of mammon, to be their source of wealth and their source of happiness. It was their money god. It was their god of materialism, that if we serve that god, he'll give us these things. See, that's why if you fast forward generations all the way to Webster Dictionary, right now's dictionary, he defined mammon as the false god of riches and greed. He didn't say money. He said the false god of riches and greed. Once again, what's he talking about? A spiritual entity. He's talking about a demon. Okay? Now, listen, it's because of these reasons, I don't believe for a second when Jesus mentioned mammon, he was talking about the coins that were in those people's pockets. I, I think he was wholeheartedly uh, basically talking about, once again, demonic spirit that can influence people in the way they view and the way they handle money. This is a spirit, you can argue with me if you like, but I believe it is alive and well in the world we live in today. In fact, I think it's alive and well in the town that we live in today. Amen? Now, as I say that, I realize that most Christians, probably not anybody in this room, would consider yourself to be influenced by, uh, you know, mammon, much less a worshiper of it. Uh, but, but before we kind of like go, whatever, and disregard what Jesus said and think it's for those other people, I think we need to pump the brakes and we need to ask ourselves, man, like how can we know if we're under the influence of the spirit of mammon or not? Like we need to ask ourselves that. We need to be mature enough to be able to ask ourselves the hard questions. Amen. All right, so I want to invite all of us. These are questions I've been asking myself, and I'm going to invite you to ask yourself these questions and give an honest answer, not to me, but to the Lord, okay? So here's the questions. Do you think... More money can bring you happiness or fulfillment. I'm going to give you a lot here, so don't try to write it down. Just listen. Do you think money can bring you happiness or fulfillment? Do you think more money would fix your relationship problems? Do you tell yourself, man, if my wife and I, my husband and I, if we have more money, it fix our issues. It fix my issues with my kids, fix my issues with my friends, so on, okay? Do you think money would make people like or listen to you more? Do you consistently focus either on what you have or what you don't have? If I can say it in a way that we would say it down south, is, is do you find yourself poor-mouthing all the time about what you don't have? Do you consistently worry or feel fear and anxiety when it comes to having your needs met? In other words, how are we going to pay the bills? I don't know, and you freak out about it. Do you consistently, despite how much money you have, fear you will never have enough? That's really the definition of poverty. Poverty is not being broke as a joke. Poverty is basically you're being ruled by a spirit that says you'll never have enough. Now, do you find yourself not being as honest as you should be in dealing with people to save or make a buck? Do you find yourself comparing your financial situation to other people? In other words, you, you look at your siblings, you look at other people in your family, look at your friends, people in your age group, and you think, how do I compare? Do you get jealous or envious of others when they are blessed with abundance? Do you always go, somebody gets blessed, what about me? 
Do you look at what others have and try to outdo them? In other words, when you go buy something, it's got to be bigger, better, and more expensive. It's got it's to have some bling to it. Do you measure your success, your value, or your identity off of how much money you make or don't make? Do you want your material possessions to make a statement to others? In other words, I'm going to buy that car because it's a statement, that house because it's a statement, that purse because it's a statement, that outfit because it's a statement, this gun because it's a statement. Like, why do we buy those things? Do you see other people as opportunities to meet your needs and wants? Man, if I, if I get to them, they'll do this for me. Do you seldom feel content or satisfied with the things that you already have, or do you always feel like there's something else you need to make yourself happy? And the last one is, do you overextend yourself financially and seem unable to cut back? In other words, I cannot stop spending. And so what happens is, is the mountain of debt continues to grow and grow and grow and grow because instead of owning things, things own you. Now, let me ask you this, okay, and I don't know if that lands on your doorstep or not, but, but here's the question I want to ask you, and it's an important one, is have you ever considered where those thoughts come from? Like, have you ever thought about that when your buddy gets a new truck and thoughts hit you? Have you ever wondered where, where do those thoughts come from? Somebody's blessed, and I'm like, where did that come from? Am I making sense? Anybody ever had those thoughts? Yeah, so, so where'd they come from? Listen to what Jimmy Evans, an awesome pastor out of Texas, what he said. He said this, he said, The spirit of mammon promises us those things that only God can give. Security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom. Then he says this simple but powerful statement. Mammon tells us it can insulate us from life's problems and that money is the answer to every situation. What's he saying? Let me, let me go beyond the lines here. He's saying that there's a demonic spirit that's trying to trick us into believing the lie that if we would serve it, basically that it would take care of us more than God. Now, listen, it doesn't matter if a person, in my mind, if they're swimming in a pool of money, like Scrooge McDuck, right? Or, or if they're the poster child for the middle class, right? Or if they're so poor, they don't have two pennies to rub together. Man, it doesn't matter where people land on the financial spectrum. When a person buys into that lie, it not only causes them to try to live apart from God independently and self-sufficient, right? But, but it also causes money to become a subject that dominates their thinking. And ultimately what it does is it distorts their values. And when I say distorts their values, I mean it changes their character. You, it takes a, a good-natured person in an area where they're normally good-natured, right, and they're just kind, and it turns them into a selfish, greedy, stingy person who hoards and covets. And so rather than being the genuine person that God wants them to be, they're that. Now, let me be clear on something. They can be the nice, ooey-gooey, great person, right, in 95 areas, and money comes up, and that's what manifests. So overall, here's the point I'm trying to make, is that spirit of mammon ultimately tries to replace God's spirit in our lives because it wants us to put our trust in it and the material things it can give us. And so what it does, it lures us in with these sweet promises of peace and rest and joy and fulfillment. But, but listen, as children of God, we got to remember only God can give us those things. That's an imposter. That's a lie that never delivers. All right, so with that, man, please keep in mind that, that Jesus not one time in the Bible told us 
or told anyone that the answer to life's problems was more money. Is that true? Like, like, like money is not the answer to our problems. You have to understand, listen, I don't care what you're facing, okay? If there's a problem, it's got a spiritual connection and only a spiritual God can solve it, right? And, and so, so let me swing this to a balance though because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying is I'm not saying that, that God will never place money in your hands to help you resolve a situation or get you out of jam or get you out of a circumstance. It's not what I'm saying. He'll absolutely do that. But we have to rest in our heart that God will never put money in our hand in order to replace him. See, he wants us to be people of faith, and he wants us to be people who trust him. And so what's the Bible even say? It says in Habakkuk, it says in Hebrews, it says in Romans, it says the just shall live by faith, not by money. Okay? So because of this, I think it's important that we, once again, kind of sell in our hearts, man, we're looking to Scripture. Jesus is not saying money and mammon are the same thing. He wasn't saying that money in and of itself is inherently evil. In fact, man, over the years, especially being from the South, I can't tell you how many people I've heard over the years uh, say money's evil. I want you to know that's not what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul said it is the what? It is the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And so that's what mammon wants us to do. It basically wants us to, to see it so much as our source that we fall in love with and pursue it wholeheartedly that ultimately when Jesus said you'll serve it, it'll actually means you'll be its slave. That's what the word means. If you're with me, so yeah. All right, let me give you one more thought here and then we'll shift gears a little bit. Um, the Bible is pretty clear. It says this, it says that God delights in the prosperity of his servants. To understand that, that, that God delights in our prosperity, okay? So God's not scared to give us money, right? Now, let me maybe say it this. So, so God blessing people, man, with money, it isn't a problem. The problem is when those people allow that money to start dominating, controlling their lives. And we've all seen it happen. Yeah? Am I talking to myself today? All right. All right, so let's do this. Let's... Um, I kind of I kind of went asked a bunch of questions in a very macro way. Now I want to be micro, and let's let's bring this down to basically how the spirit of mammon actually affects good old Christian people. Okay, so let me ask you some questions. Um, do you cringe when the topic of money comes up in church? So so watch this. I know I love how some people shake your head, but listen to me. It's not everybody shaking their head. I have to say that. It's like five of you. Here's the next question. Once again, we're trying to go, here's how it gets a foothold in believers. Uh, do you feel reluctant to do this biblical thing called tithe? Do you feel reluctant to give in special offerings? Somebody hops up, hey, we got a speaker. Hey, we got this going on. Hey, we got you. Ugh. Right? Do you struggle to give joyfully without strings attached to those who are in need? Meaning somebody, you know, pops up, they need some help, and you go, hey, look, man, I'll give you 20 bucks, but I need it back by next week. Or can you go, okay, let's sow that into the kingdom, right? So do you feel hesitant to give because you're more focused on what you're going to lose rather than what you're going to gain eternally? And the way I look at that is this, is that you're thinking, okay, there's an, a person or situation I need to give to, but where our minds go is, man, if I give to that, then I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to buy that or have that or go there or do this or do that. I'm making sense. Do you tell yourself what the Bible says about money is foolish and outdated? Well, that was for them. 
right? Or, or do you believe, and this is maybe the most important question out of all of them, do, do you believe God doesn't care about you so you think you better take care of yourself? Because if that's the case, that's a core issue, right? And so, so once again, to ask yourself if those are struggles that you have, right? Like, like if you're the person, well, well I, you know, I give a few times a year, I don't really know what you really, I throw a dollar in the bucket. I throw what, like if that, you're missing the whole kingdom principles here, okay? And so there's this thing like, man, when, when those things come up, ask yourself again, what voices am I hearing? Is it God's voice or the spirit of mammon? Because the Bible clearly says God wants us to be a generous people. That doesn't mean that he wants us to empty everything. There's still discernment and balance and obedience and all that. Please hear that. Uh, but, but man, there's a generosity when you connect with the Holy Spirit, and there's stinginess when you connect with the spirit of mammon. Amen. So what I'm trying to tell you and what I'm wanting us to see today is this, is that it is possible for people who say they really love God to come into church and with their mouth say, Jesus, I love you, but at the same time have a hard attitude that says, God, this is my money. Don't touch it. Back off. Right? So, so like, watch this. Statistically, and I, I haven't heard this in years, but about... 20 years ago, statistically, people who gave in church, okay, and that's not so much what I'm trying to get at today, but it was 3%. 3%. Actually, hearing stuff that when you look at countries that are third world countries, that are, I'm, I'm talking about like poor as poor can be, they outgave the American church. Why? Because there's a spirit of mammon that's choking us to death. And we don't even realize it, right? So, so let's, let's kind of shift gears here. What I'm trying to get us to see is, man, if, if, if any of that's registering in our hearts, then maybe we can be honest with ourselves before God and say, you know what, maybe I am being influenced and possibly even led by this spirit, which is not the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I can say that with confidence is because of what happened in the early church when those guys had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you a verse, and I'll give a little context, and then we'll start to land this thing. It says this in Acts chapter 2. Once again, powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, right? Tongues of fire. We know they had an incredible moment. And then it says this in verse 44. It says, and all the believers met together. So get that, all the believers. That means the wealthy ones, the middle class ones, and the poor ones. They, all the believers, right? All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple, the church each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, this communion, and shared their meals with great joy and what? Generosity. It says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And if you continue to read, the very next verse says, and the Lord added to the church daily. God's attracted to generous people. Right? And, and so in my mind, it's this. Now, I understand contextually. Let me say this, kind of bring balance. In the early church, obviously, when these people are saying yes to Jesus, they were getting killed. They were getting kicked out of their families. They were losing their houses. They were, you, you know, there was an incredible amount of persecution. And this is how the body rose up and responded to the needs of what was happening in the church. And so I'm not saying, hey, if we're going to be generous people, we're going to go sell everything we have. And we're going to live in a commune in the back 40. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, I don't even like people that much. Right? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I, I want my space. Amen? So, 
So, but, but what I want us to see is that is the difference between what happens in a person's heart when they're submitted to the Holy Spirit versus when they're being controlled by the spirit of mammon. See, what happened when they were controlled and the Holy Spirit was moving in their hearts and they were having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, they became very generous. And the reason is because he's generous, right? Like we all know, God so loved the world that he gave. It's a, it's a principle of the heart of God. It's who he is. It's his nature. And so when he comes and lives inside of you, that's your natural response too. Because the reality is, as I know this about people, we're all born stingy and possessive. That's why I got a two-year-old daughter at the home that says no all the time. Why? Because it's not naturally in, in our hearts with the fallen nature to be givers. That's why our hearts need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, so, so let's start to land this, okay? Here we go. So last week, if you go back and listen to it, or maybe you already have, or maybe you were in one of the first two services last week, really that's centered around this, about us obtaining the biblical perspective, the right biblical perspective concerning our lives and the possessions we've been entrusted with. In other words, this is what God says about our stuff. So we had to get that settled. Today has been more about this, examining our hearts so that we can truly see who we are serving. <laughs> like I want us to see that as God's people. I want who we are serving because Jesus made it really clear. He said, you will either serve him or mammon. And then he said this, you can't serve, be loyal, or be devoted to both. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting back and I'm going through all those questions in my own heart, my own mind, and I'm thinking, okay, about myself and about all of us, right? And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, are we, are we serving you as much as we think we're serving you? Right? And, and there's this context or this idea that thinks this, that, that how many people in the anchor church or in the, in the Christian community of Knotts County, how many of us simply said this, that this is our paradigm? Uh, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you for my ticket to heaven. I'll see you when I need you. And, and, and so what we're missing there, if that's the case, is that, man, when we, when we said yes to Jesus, obviously there's a the part where he's saving us, but we got to also remember he's still Lord, right? And so when we say yes, we surrender to, to him as our lordship, it, it, that involves everything, right? Like, like in my head, I'm like, okay, God, please help people understand that, if, that when they said yes to you, that that means their sexuality, that they surrender that to you. So no more living with people that you're not married to. No more sleeping around people that you're not married to. Man, understand the biblical principle of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and that's how it operates. And then there's that side of going, okay, when we say yes to Jesus, I'm also saying yes to him in my finances. So it's not about me doing what I want to. And oh crap, I messed up. Please help me and bail me out, Jesus. Thanks for bailing me out. And then we continue with the same unhealthy patterns. The same thing is go, okay, when I said yes to Jesus, that also means I gave him my, my character, my mouth, right? My thought life. Am, am I making sense? My motives. He gets everything. And so, you know, once again, it's not a box over here and a box over here. Man, he gets it all. So let's surrender it all. All right. So let's end with this. If by chance... You've been sitting here this morning, you're like, oh man, my, my, my money and my possessions 
They have a grip on my heart and mind more than I thought they did. There's a good chance of that one today. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I've really been living like two categories. That's my stuff and that's my spirituality and I haven't been blending them and I need to make them one. What should I do? Like, and if you've been sitting back going, man, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm influenced by mammon and I'm serving him. What should you do? Let me give you the best answer I can give you. And you may walk away and go, that didn't seem like much of an answer. But I'm telling you, there's revelation in it that will be your answer. If you go back to Matthew 6, when Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, his answer was the very next verse. And so let's look at what he told those group of people as the solution to defeat mammon in your life and not be tempted by mammon. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, that is transition. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Why? Because worry is a byproduct of the spirit of mammon. You need me. I'll help you. He's like, no, 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 no. Then he said, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? In other words, get a proper perspective, right? It's called contentment. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? That speaks to identity. It speaks to the character of God. That He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider, right? And then it says this, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Does that mammon even help you? Is what he's saying. Nope. It says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown to the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, it dominates the thoughts of those people who are submitted to the spirit of mammon. It says, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. This says, seek the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Let me drill down to it like this. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. What's the solution or the way to make sure you're not influenced or that you are not being led by the spirit of mammon? It's in this key word. Watch this. It, like if you're there today, what should you do? It's, it's repentance. But I don't mean repentance in the sense of I do mean like, Lord, forgive me. Help me turn. I do, remember, I do mean that. But more than that, I mean this. It's a change of mind. Because what happens is, is when we live like Jesus is telling us not to live, it's because we lack the revelation. It's where the mind change needs to happen that we have a father that really loves us. You see, when we don't understand that, that's how we get lured in. How do we get lured out? We realize that the Father really, really, really loves us. And because he loves us, he's going to take care of us. And so I don't freak out and worry about it. I think this, man, if it goes in my hand and it goes out of my hand, he knows how to put something else in my hand. Yes. So, so I don't have to hoard, I don't have to be greedy, I don't have to, no, 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 no. I understand the heart of God, not only for me, but also for other people. There's not a single need that the Lord's not willing to meet. I can tell you that with confidence. I've been serving for 27 years. Do I know what it's like to have financial need? You bet I do. But do I know what it's like to see him come through? Every time I do. Every time. And I didn't have to run around and tell everybody. 
I sought him, right? Because that's the thing. It's like, yes, there's this side of repentance. Yes, there's contentment. Yes, there's gratefulness. Yes, there's generosity. But the biggest way to get out of that trap is just simply fall more in love with Jesus. If I fall in love with him, seek him first, there's a promise that I can bank on. What is it? Father, you see what's going on in my life. You said if I seek you first, I'm here. I've been faithfully to be here, right? I, I serve you. I worship you. I have a relationship with you. You said if I seek you first above all else that you would take care of all these things, right? And there's that key part, you live righteous. Can't leave that out. Amen. You can stand to your feet. Y'all all right? Here's the good news. We talked about money and y'all survived. All right. Amen. Listen, we love y'all, but, but, but I think, and y'all probably say this again next week, I, I just want to say it. This is not about getting something from you. This is about getting something to you. Because once again, like I say again and again and again, when we do it God's way, we get God's results. When we do it our way, we get our results. And there's kingdom principles that are in play that are not Quentin's ideas. They're God's ideas. To be honest with you, Quentin's flesh don't like some of them. Okay, but Quentin doesn't live according to the flesh. Tries not to. Okay? We try to be obedient to the word, and I can tell you 27 years, I've seen God bless me way more than I ever thought he would bless me, and it's not about what's in my bank account or what I drive. I mean, I got a 2009 Toyota Tacoma out there that I'm super happy with. 140,000 miles on it, and I love it. I'm good. Right? Am I making sense? There's things that he gives you that he blesses you with that are way beyond some material thing. I'd rather have joy from the Lord, peace from the Lord, rest from the Lord, fulfillment from the Lord. All those things outweigh anything I've ever purchased. Amen. Can we pray? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, that you are a generous God, that you care about every detail in our life, that you see us, that you know us, you know the good times, the bad times, the struggles, the hardship. Father, I thank you for this message this morning. I thank you for the revelation of your word. Lord, I pray that it would come alive in our hearts this morning, that you would do a work now, starting today, and shift our mindset from where we are and align it with where your, what your word says is true. I pray for the spirit of truth to come and make it alive in us, to change our minds, transform us, Make us and mold us into your image, Father. Lord, I thank you that you are a generous God, and I ask that you would help us to become more like you. Make us a generous people. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week, and God bless.